everyone. I'm here with Mike Keithley. Mike, welcome to the Ward family. Thank you. And Mike, where did life begin for you? Where did you grow up? That's rather complicated. I, I was born in San Francisco in 1945. At that time, it was the Stanford had a hospital in San Francisco. I think it's gone now. I was born there. My dad worked for Pan American. This was just after the war, so actually he didn't have his job then. He was just in the process process of getting it. But in the war, he was in the Navy, and he worked with minesweepers. He used to say that was quite a stressful job, working in the minesweeper fleets, sweeping out harbors and things like that. Of course, the ships had to destroy the mines too, so... But when I was born, he was classified as an airport manager, which I think means he got his job at Pan American at that time. I was born at 2.15 in the afternoon. Nothing has been quite the same since then. I have a brother. He's three years older than I am. His real name is Patrick, but we call him Hans because in high school he had a real stutter problem and peas words with peas were particularly difficult for him so he informally changed his name to Hans H-A-N-S which he never had any trouble saying and when I was three we went to Woodside I don't remember what my what my dad was doing but in Woodside we had a an apartment we had my grandfather on my mom's side living with us too. So then our family moved to uh, Tokyo, Japan. That was in 1948-49. Uh, My uh, dad was instrumental in getting Pan American Airlines set up in Tokyo, in Japan. And so we were there for something close to five years. We were just sort of settling in. My parents tried to find a spot for me so I could go to school. But nobody there knew what, how to deal with a blind person. I was born blind. So I have no vision. I had no vision experience. And so they just tried for a while. They tried to just put me in normal classes. It was a very frustrating experience. I remember it getting quite frustrated. Outpourings of anger and frustration. I'd be sent to the coat room, they called it. Once I got out of being angry, I, I enjoyed the coat rooms. I could wander around and look at this and look at that, and it was fun. Anyway, uh, my mom contacted a school in Philadelphia called the Overbrook School for the Blind, and at that time, that those schools were very busy because there was a fairly high population of blind kids. There were kids that were being blinded from the incubators. They didn't realize that the oxygen uh, oxygenation was too high and it was destroying retinas. So something close to 10% uh, of all the children born between, say, 1950, uh, 1945 to 51 were either totally blind or partially sighted. So the schools back east, there's the Overbrook and the New York School and Perkins School for the Blind. Perkins is probably the most popular. They were pretty busy because they had children coming in that were just visually impaired. There was nothing wrong with them. They weren't mentally handicapped or they didn't have other diseases. So they were pretty normal. 
At any rate, the Overbrook School sent a representatives all the way to where my family lived in Japan. Her name was Mrs. Caulfield. I remember her as a, a nice person. She was nice, but a little distant. She wasn't that much in- interested in me. She was interested in talking to my parents. I met her, and then they decided that they would send me to Overbrook for my education. And what it meant was I was there for nine months and then home in the summertime. So when I started going to school there, I was really apart from my family, and that set a trend. So I I was living a good part of my life away from my family, which I didn't mind. My experience with Overbrook, I think of as being very beneficial. It was sort of like being cut loose so I could be me. That continued to 1957, and then the family moved to Thailand. There, the State Department wanted my dad to help develop Thai airlines. So the family went to Thailand. I continued going on to Overbrook for for nine months. It just meant quite a bit more air travel. We were talking about in the late 50s, before jets were really available. So that meant going home would take something close to 18 hours. Actually, it was longer because sometimes, depending on what my mom had to do, rent a hotel room and stay there a night. But because she had to come pick me up, she and my dad made plans to get this and get that and arrange this and arrange that. It was pretty busy for her. And anyway, in 59, we came back to Burlingame. What actually happened was that there was a coup, a military coup in Thailand, and they I don't know if they just talked everybody into leaving or forced everybody to leave, but whichever happened, everybody left. All the the airlines people that were helping Thai Airlines, and that meant we left. We went to Burlingame, and I still kept going to Overbrook. I had an opportunity to change all that when we got to Burlingame because I was just starting high school. I could have stayed here and gone to a local high school which is the trend now. It's very seldom that, unless there's other handicaps that have to be dealt with, it's it's seldom that blind or visually impaired people go to these special schools. But I decided I wanted to stay at Overbrook. It was a very simple decision because my friends were there. I wasn't thinking much beyond that. And as it turns out, it was a good thing. I feel it was a good thing. Got myself a good education and I was doing pretty well. And were there certain subjects that you particularly enjoyed when you were growing up? I liked mechanical things, and I liked electrical things, too. So they both interested me. My mom would find kits that I could build, and I did. I still remember those times, putting them together, and by gosh, it worked. And now I'm in the ham radio. I have a HF rig and a VHF rig. Outside our antennas, that's a no-no. But the homeowners association decided that it was okay for me to have antennas. And because I was visually impaired, and it was only my only way to communicate, Star was very instrumental in convincing them of that. It's sort of funny because it's not true. I took advantage of being visually impaired at that time, and that's a no-no in the visually impaired community. But I did, and I built things too. I built several devices that I tried to sell. They did not have much of a career because nobody else really wanted them. 
These days, people who are visually impaired, there's a large ham community, but there is not too much of a do-it-yourself community. The stuff I was selling was stuff that might, would help do-it-yourself people. You joined the church as an adult? Oh, yes. Is that right? And yeah. so as you were growing up, was religion important in your home, or was no, that wasn't. something that you practiced? Okay. No, it wasn't. I never did find out. My brother isn't clear, and I never did find out what denomination my mom and dad were. I think the word I wanted is spiritual. I think that uh, a spiritual side was always there. Part of it had to do with because in my career at Overbrook was such that I was doing pretty much what I wanted to do. And I was not exposed to people who were mean or ugly. So I tended to enjoy things. I enjoyed music, fresh air outside, being outside. So when I went to church in those years, when the people would, would say, well, God made these things, and I would say, sure, why not? But then when I started going to college, I got exposed more to different Eastern denominations like uh, Tao and Buddhism. And there was a fellow in the 60s, his name was Alan Watts. I got to really enjoying his, his lectures because to me, they made, they made sense. So I don't think of myself so much as religious, but there's definitely a, a spiritual side, which I respect. And where did you go to college and what did you study? I started with in a four-year college, the College of San Mateo. Those days, uh, they were, the, the campuses were in the San Mateo and Redwood City, Kenyatta. My mom found an apartment for me, and I was, I was just batching it for two years. I went to, this, to campus in the hills in San Mateo because the buses went there. I got further interested in uh, electronics, and I got a degree in electronic technology. And then I decided that I didn't want to really quit school yet. So I went to the University of Santa Clara and got a degree in uh, psychology, experimental psychology. I enjoyed the experimental psychology and breaking out experiments, making experiments and analyzing data and things like that. My rehab counselor said, uh, you aren't going to school anymore. You're going to work. So she gave me this big list of places to go. And I started working on the list and got down to Hewlett Packard, which was something like number 14 in a list of 30. When I visited Hewlett Packard, I felt they were receptive. Well, I went there and had my interview and then left. And about six months later, my rehab counselor calls me and says, Get rid of your beard, get yourself all cleaned up, cut your hair, you're going to heal pack it to work. So I started working at HP in 70, 1973. I was doing assembly work. Also some electronics, uh, testing, and computer support. I didn't really press hard to advance because I was satisfied with what I was doing. I wasn't dissatisfied in anything, really. So I just kept working. And we're going to heal a Packard. And I met Star in the late 80s, I think it was. 
88. And how did the two of you meet? Star has the story that I went to her sign language class. I was losing my hearing, pretty much. It was a serious matter. I went to Ellen Keller National Center for Youths and Adults. That's what his formal name is. I went there just to get used to what it's like to live in a deaf world, a deaf-blind world. When I was there, of course, they told me to turn my hearing aids off, so I did. That's what I did. I stayed there doing things without my hearing, without any hearing aids at all. But I came back and figured I better keep uh, advancing in my sign language. So I uh, heard about Star's class. I got a friend take me to where the class was. And then I really did ask Star, can I join your class? And uh, she said yes. And that's when we started dating. Soon after that, we started dating. We dated for five years. And in 1992, we were married. It's been 31 years now. Along the way, did you have any kids together? Or? No. Nowadays, I think I wasn't meant to have children. It was a personality thing. And as you went through your adult years, how did some of these experiences progress for you? Are there certain experiences that you had that stand out in your memory or that you look upon we've you know, got, quite fondly? We've, when I was at Santa Clara, I got exposed to marijuana, hashish, mescaline, and, and LSD. I tried all of them. These days, they're just an experience that I remember as being interesting and fun, but not something I want to do again. My life, you would call it probably not very active. It was a smooth life. I had guide dogs, and I used them when I was going here and there. But nothing really extraordinary happens. It was just a peaceful, restful life. And I've always felt that's what was meant for me. At what point did you join the church? Well, I joined in 2014. What led to that decision, or how did you approach that decision? Well, Star wanted to join the church, and I decided I would join, too, just to support her. The way I see Mormonism, I guess that's the way you want to call it. It is a worthy thing to respect and understand, but it's not the only thing. My testimonies wouldn't talk about this is the true church and things like that. So I joined to support Star, and it's always been that way. Even though I was baptized and got my elder's office, I did it with respect and appreciation and understanding. But it wasn't a showstopper. And now at this point in your life, what does the future hold for you? Are there certain things that you are trying to do or you're interested in doing at this point? At the moment, the future is seeing Star to the end of her life. And then I'm not sure what I'm going to do with me. Sometimes I think, I'll just do what I used to do. Other times I think, but that's getting old probably wouldn't be very enjoyable. So aside from taking care of Star, I I don't know what I'm going to do when she passes. I'm sure you'll be able to figure it out or it'll become more clear. It sounds like, you know, at varying points in your life, you know, different doors have opened up to you or certain That could be it. Yeah, certain things have presented themselves to you. Yeah, exactly. Well, Mike, I really appreciate this opportunity to learn a little bit more about your life. I hope that uh, other people uh, who listen will 
come and say hello or you know hopefully this will maybe uh, trigger certain conversations uh, that might not have otherwise happened but I really appreciate um, the fact that you and Star are in our ward and the contributions that both of you make to our ward family so well that's good 